We're starting the new year with a new series called It's All About Jesus. What better? And it's focusing on the I am sayings of Jesus in John's Gospel. We're doing it slightly different in that we're doing four of them in the mornings and four of them in the evenings. So if you don't normally come in the mornings, why not for the next three weeks come along to the morning and hear the others so you get more or less the full set. Tonight, it's I am the Good Shepherd. John chapter 10, I'm going to start reading from verse 11. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired man is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's the hired <coughs> hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Okay, so it's a few years ago. We're running a youth camp. And your mother comes. And there's no campsite there, so we've negotiated with the local farmer that we're going to pitch our tents in his field. And uh, he said, I may need your help partway through the week with some sheep. Is that okay? Yeah, we say. So one day he comes, he says, I've got to move the sheep from the field over there to the field over there. And what's going to happen is I will drive the sheep down, and they've got to make a sudden left turn into the other field. So I want you guys to line up across the field, and as the sheep comes towards you, you make a noise, and they will swerve into the next field. Most bizarre experience of my life. You're standing there, and there's this stampede of sheep. And part of your brain is thinking, sheep are soft, woolly, cuddly things. And part of it is thinking, actually, these are quite big. Has anybody ever been trampled to death by a sheep? But they came running down the field, and we all went, and just as the guy said, they swerved and went into the field. The farmer shut the gate behind them and said, thanks, that's great. In practical terms, that is the sum of my knowledge of sheep. I have learned a few things about sheep preparing for this, and particularly about things that... Um, went on in New Testament times when Jesus was speaking and back in the Old Testament because there's a cultural background to this story. Um, in a village, a lot of people would have owned some sheep. And if you were a wealthy person, you might have a flock of sheep, you can have your own shepherd. But where people have just got a few, they would find a family from the village and uh, one of the sons or possibly two of the daughters um, I don't know why two daughters, I suppose for propriety's sake or something, but anyway, that's the way you used to do it. One of the sons or two of the daughters would become a shepherd for all the sheep of the village. And uh, each morning they'd go along to the different houses, bring them out of the courtyard, take them off to graze in open country. 
We've got a picture that we get from the telly with the sheepdogs and all the rest of it, of people driving sheep. They didn't drive sheep in New Testament times, they led them. And Jesus talks about sheep knowing his voice. And so the shepherd would actually have a call or a whistle or a song or some sort of distinctive thing, and the sheep knew it. And this has actually been observed in more recent times, in the, sometime in the 20th century, um, when the British were in Palestine, they confiscated all the sheep from an area as a punishment because there'd been some rebellious activity. And then eventually the word came through that people could have their sheep back. And this shepherd boy comes up to the pen where they've got all these sheep from all these different places and says to the, the soldier on duty, I'd like my sheep, please. And the soldier says, well, you can have 12 sheep if that's how many you had, but I can't give you yours. You just have any 12. And the guy says, no problem. And he gave his call, and his 12 sheep came out from amongst the flock and followed him away. So right up to, you know, presumably still happening today in present time. Different, different way of doing it. The shepherd led the sheep. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. The shepherd, having collected the sheep, would take them out to graze and to drink. And that was not plentiful for most of the year. Only in the summer season was there easy grazing. So the shepherd had to know the best places and take them to the places they needed to be. There was always possible danger from wild animals, certainly, and uh, occasionally from thieves. Sheep could get lost. Jesus tells a famous story about a sheep that did. In the summer, the shepherd might stay out overnight. In the winter, they bring them back to their houses, but in the summer, they have pens out there roughly made of stone uh, walls, and then the sheep, maybe just this guy's sheep, maybe several shepherds bring all the sheep together, and they would keep them in the pen overnight. The shepherd would literally sleep in the doorway. That's relevant to the I am about I am the gate that somebody's going to pick up a bit later. You'll find out more about that. There's also a theological background as well as a cultural background to what Jesus is saying. We call these the I am sayings, and I am was a, a, a play on words. Sometimes it just meant, literally, I am, you know, in the ordinary sense of it. But people would also always think of God's name given to Moses, I am who I am. And if you want to know all the background to that, get hold of the recording of Ross's sermon, listen online, I hope it was recorded this morning, um, because he preached on that subject where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And um, you can hear him unpack all that theology. But there's also a whole lot of um, Old Testament theology. And if you want a really strange Bible study, do a Bible study on sheep and shepherds. Just Google all the references or look them up in an old-fashioned concordance. There are heaps of them. And you will find all sorts of amazing stuff you've never even thought of that the Bible says about sheep and shepherds and how that relates to our relationship with God. You see, God had always been Israel's shepherd. The most famous picture we've sung about, and John has referred to it. I'm going to read it again. Don't put it on the screen. Don't look it up on the Bible. Just close your eyes. And as I read it, just listen and reflect. This is what God is to you and to me. Just let God show you what he is doing, shepherding in your life. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's who God is to us. That's what God wants to do for us in all the practical things of life. Now the kings and the rulers of Israel were under shepherds, caring for God's people. And that was the model that they were supposed to follow. And some of them did well. But many, just as rulers do, enriched themselves, neglected the people, and are condemned by the prophets. If you look in Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you've scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. Those who should have done the job weren't. And God says, I will do. I will make up what's missing. Ezekiel chapter 34. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for the sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of cloud and darkness. The immediate context of both those passages is about um, the people of Israel being taken into captivity in Babylon. But here's the background to what Jesus is talking about. God has said, I will intervene. I will shepherd my sheep. I will care for my people And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And all this is in the minds of the people because, for one, a lot of the people that Jesus is addressing, where where John refers to the Jews, he means not just Jewish people anyway, probably the whole audience is Jewish. He means the religious leaders. They were always following Jesus. So they were people who knew their Bible inside out. But even ordinary people were theologically literate in those days. They knew the stories of the Old Testament. They knew what God had said. And so they recognized in what seems obscure to us what Jesus is saying. I am the good shepherd. I was interested when Jeremy said about laying our lives on the altar because as I've been preparing and reading this, there's a phrase that just leapt out at me Uh, uh, as if God was saying, this is what you've got to focus on. And it's this phrase about laying down his life, my life, for the sheep. 
And there are at least two ways in which a shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. One is an ongoing one. It was a demanding job. He had unsocial hours at lambing time. You, you couldn't just say, oh, well, we'll worry about that in the morning. When a sheep got lost, as in Jesus' story, you didn't say, well, I'll get a good night's sleep and I'll go out and look tomorrow. You had to respond to the needs of the flock as and when they occurred. In the summer, as we said, it was literally a 24-7 job. You went out and you slept out in the uh, pastures and what have you, and you could be out for days, weeks with the sheep without coming home. It was a demanding job. You had to lay down everything else to be able to do it. And Paul tells us of Jesus in Philippians 2 that he laid down everything for us. He lived as God in the glory of heaven but gave it all up, emptied himself to shepherd God's people. You see, God didn't stay at a distance. I don't know that there's any other religion or religious belief that comes anywhere close to this. Generally speaking, we've created gods that are out there somewhere and except in silly Greek and Roman myths where they come and um, do things with uh, beautiful maidens and what have you, they don't have much interaction. But this is a God who makes himself real, a God who becomes human, a God who doesn't sit in comfort and offer advice, but a God who experiences all we experience except that Jesus was without sin. As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians, Jesus, who was rich, became poor for our sakes, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. He laid down his life for us in the sense of giving up all that he had, all that he was, to become one with us. This is the model that kings and rulers and leaders should follow, that they should have been following in the Old Testament. It's the model that the Pharisees of Jesus' day should have been following. They knew it. They got all the teaching of the Old Testament. They knew how they should behave, but they behaved like the worst of the shepherds. We're all right. We don't care about anybody else. This is the model that, yes, in the church, Christian leaders should follow. And there's teaching in the New Testament about elders. We prayed for elders being shepherds of the flock. But it's also the model for all Christians. You see, we believe in something called the priesthood of all believers. There isn't a sort of order, ordinary Christians, more experienced Christians, deacons, elders, ministers, in the Church of England, bishops, archbishops, whatever you like. No, we are all God's people. We are all priests of God. We are all called to serve God. And I want to ask the question, in this new year, are you prepared to say that I lay down my life for you, Jesus? I lay down my hopes and my dreams. I lay down my work and my leisure. I lay down my time and my money. I lay down all I am and all that I have. Not that you simply do nothing, but you simply say, I'm pretty under your control. You show me what it should be. Now, very often, those things have been planted in us by Jesus, or we've been put in those situations deliberately, and God builds on where we are and what we're at. Just occasionally, God totally transforms our situation and says, do something completely different. But generally, it's 
laying down what we have and saying, you, you direct me. How do I relate to the friends and the family that I've got? How do I fit into the work and the study that I'm doing? How do I use the gifts that you've given me? And we need to ask the question, what's God calling us to do in 2019? It may be something quite simple. Never neglect the simple things. I've been involved in parachurch Christian ministry for 40 years. It started simply with God saying, go to a prayer meeting. And I had a whole load of excuses for not going to that prayer meeting. But I went. And the results of that, and the people that I got involved in, I think, led to a complete life change and really shaped the whole of the last 40 years. But it wasn't a great dramatic Damascus Road thing. It was, go to a prayer meeting. Is God saying to you, go to a prayer meeting? Is God saying, get stuck into this or do that? Or read your Bible a bit more? Or talk to a friend? Or it might be something quite trivial. God does also speak in very dramatic ways as well. And it may be that uh, God calls us something big. But don't neglect the small things. Shepherding could be hard work, it was messy, it was dangerous, it was on social hours. What are we going to give to God? The time we can spare, the bits that we don't need, the bits that we don't want? Are we prepared to give more than the leftovers to actually lay down our lives for Jesus in 2019? Love, so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life my all. Next time you sing that, why not sing love so amazing, so divine, shall have my soul, my life, my all. If there's things that you think God is calling you to, whether it's something like uh, Ross was saying at the beginning, to play a part in a rota, go and talk to Carol, or maybe it's a bigger thing, talk to Ross or one of the elders, or find somebody that you trust and pray with them, but don't let it go past. What is God calling us to do in this new year? And then there is a specific application to this laying down of life. Jesus came to die on the cross. That was his purpose. To lay down his life for us so that we might be forgiven, that we might make a fresh start, that we might be adopted as God's children as part of his flock. Just listen again to verses 17 and 18. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Those verses um, deal with two heresies, one an older one and one a more recent one. The older heresy, you don't see it so much, but it's still there in some of the ultra-conservative evangelical churches. They say it's all right to be anti-Semitic. It's all right to be horrible to the Jews because they're responsible for killing Jesus. You see what Jesus says? I choose to lay down my life. Yeah, Jewish religious leaders plotted against him and uh, got a fake trial and all the rest of it. Though actually... Those who are anti-Semitic forget that all his first followers were Jewish as well, of course. But that wasn't the reason 
At any time, Jesus could have broken out of that system. He could have got his followers to fight for him. There were always rebellions. People were willing to pick up the sword and fight for a charismatic leader. Or he could have summoned a legion of angels to protect him. He said to Pilate, you've only got authority over me because God has given it to you. He laid down his life of his own accord. It was not taken from him. And then secondly, it deals with that heresy, that unfortunate phrase that Steve Chalk brought to our attention, cosmic child abuse. Um, we need to be fair to Steve. Steve is a good guy and uh, I'm one of his fans. And what he was saying in his book where he uses that phrase is, Jesus' death on the cross is often taught in a way which makes it look like cosmic child abuse. And it has. I've seen all the terrible stories, you know. There's, there's a train coming down the tracks and there's a poor little innocent child on the rail and the father of the child has got the choice. He can save the child and the train will wreck or he can save the train and the child. It's all console of Absolutely awful illustration of what it's about. Because Jesus was not a child. He was not an unwilling and an unwitting victim. It was not a choice that God had to make because he was desperate and couldn't sort it out any other way. And the idea of a cruel, hateful God the Father and a sweet, innocent, unwitting, unwilling victim in Jesus is not biblical. Jesus laid down his life of his own accord. It was part of a plan made by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before the world began. It was always the plan of our salvation. That's how much God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit loves us, that Jesus chose to lay down his life and to die on the cross and to take it back. He says, I have authority to take it back, to rise from the dead, to demonstrate the truth of what's happened. I talked earlier about Christians laying down their lives in the service of Jesus. But that has to start with this once for all laying down of our life. One decisive moment. The point where we say, Lord, I am sorry. My life is messed up. I'm not perfect. There's all sorts that's wrong. I believe you died for me. Forgive me. Make me yours. I lay down my life, my way of doing things, my sin and rebellion. I hand myself over to you. Make me yours, I pray. You can put it in whatever words you like. It really doesn't matter. It's just saying, I don't know God. I want to know God. I give myself to you, God. Forgive me. Make me yours. Maybe that's your situation tonight. You're in church, but actually you've never met with God personally. You've never experienced forgiveness. New life. Lay down your life for Jesus tonight. You don't have to say it out loud. You can say it in your head. Though it's quite helpful sometimes to pray with somebody else. And if you'd like to do that at the end of the service, just come and sit on this front row. And uh, one of the elders or someone will come and pray with you and talk with you. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And, (coughs) excuse me. And there are a whole lot of things about being a shepherd that that implies. But the fundamental one, the one that he mentions again and again is this. 
He's the good shepherd because he laid down his life for us. And he calls us to lay down our lives for him. That first decisive, life-changing moment. And then a continuous life of living for him. That's what Christianity is about. It's not about going to church. It's not about reading the Bible, saying prayers. All those are bits and parts of it. It's about saying, Jesus, <coughs> I want to do what you want me to do. I lay down my life for you. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we pray that you'll help us to understand that that kind of lifestyle that we've thought about for a few minutes is not just for special Christians, it's for every single one of us. Lord, for those who don't know you, touch their lives with your Holy Spirit tonight. Bring people to faith. For those of us that do know you, renew our commitment. Speak to us in clear, practical terms about what laying down our life means for the coming weeks and months. Father, we commit ourselves to you and thank you for your unbelievable love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.